broadcasting from Melbourne, Victoria. You're listening to the Investor Exchange. Tune in each week and listen to the guys from United Global Capital discuss the topics that matter the most to your finances. Each episode will help you separate the noise from what really matters, giving you timely and actionable information you can use. We'll cover areas related to financial markets, property, politics, personal finance, and the economy. Now, here's your host, Stephanie Sumner. Welcome, guys. Welcome to our Friday podcast. How are you all going? Have you had a good week, Joel? Yes, I have. Thanks, Steph. It's been a big week. Uh, lots going on. Lots of... Uh, well, we're in the run home now to, to Christmas. Uh, so with, with October starting, everyone starts to turn their attention towards what are they got to try and achieve before they go away on their holidays, if we can have one. Mm, that's right. That's... That's pretty forward-looking of you, Joel. Uh, I'm just looking forward to the next public holiday. In fact, we've got two coming up in Melbourne. We do um, have two coming uh, up. You're already thinking of that one. Yeah. Hey, guys, I just wanted to introduce um, a very special guest that we've got with us. Uh, well, not not with us in the studio, but remotely. Um, and that is David Guest from Outcome Business Group. Welcome, David, to the podcast today. Yeah, thanks very much, Steph. Well, now, we are here. going to... Yeah, going to have a bit of a chat with you about um, about your business in the in the next uh, couple of minutes. So um, really lovely to have you on board. We might just kick along to the guys just to give a very very quick um, market update, Joel, uh, before we get into speaking to David today. Thanks, Steph. Yes, uh, it has been an interesting week in the stock market. Um, we've obviously had this correction that started back at the start of September. Uh, but in the last two and a half weeks, we're starting to see a number of stocks breaking out and we're starting to see a number of our trades start to work again. Uh, in fact, this week, there was an interesting note that came out from a group that we follow and subscribe to, Sentiment Trader. And they've done a study on some recent uh, on some recent technical action that's been occurring in the, in the stock market. And over the last two weeks, many big technology companies have been bouncing back. And in fact, they've come back to the point where 90% of all NASDAQ 100 stocks, so these are the largest 100 NASDAQ listed stocks, have now closed above their 200-day moving average. Now, while this may uh, potentially point to an overbought scenario, historically, when they've gone back and studied this occurrence where such an extreme number of stocks are now in an uptrend above their 200-day moving average, this has actually been a very bullish sign for the NASDAQ over the next three months, six months, and 12-month periods. Over the last five times this has occurred, uh, the NASDAQ 100 has rallied three months, uh, over three months, has rallied 9% over three months for a 100% success rate. So the last five times this has occurred, the average return has been 9% without one of them showing a negative return. And over the next 12 months, the NASDAQ has been up 17.7% uh, on average 12 months later with a 100% success rate as well. So uh, a very strong um, uh, positive sign coming out of the NASDAQ. But it's not just happening in the NASDAQ. It's also happening in the smaller cap side of the market as well with the Russell 2000. So the Russell 2000 uh, looks at the 1,000th largest company on the US stock market through to the 3,000th largest company on the stock market. Now, over the past two weeks, the, the Russell 2000 has rallied 10% in the last 10 days, last 10 trading days. Now, this, this too is a relatively rare occurrence, but also a very bullish sign for the stock market. Um, over a three-month period of time, uh, the Russell, the Russell uh, 2000, which has uh, occurred on 21 separate occasions since 1980, 
the Russell 2000 has rallied 6.2% over the next month for a 100% success rate. So that is every single time that this has occurred in the last 21 instances, the Russell 2000 has rallied 6.2% over the next one month. And over the next 12 months, the Russell has rallied by an average of 21.9% over the next 12 months uh, with an 89% success rate. Uh, meaning that in 89% of instances, the uh, the Russell has uh, finished in a positive territory with only 11% in negative territory. So you're combining that together. It's very much a, a bullish sign for for stocks, and uh, and we're now fully invested again, and have been fully invested, progressively putting some money back to work over the past three three weeks or so, as as stocks have been breaking out to the point that um, uh, that we're now fully invested again, having uh, taking some money off the table back in early September. Good one. All right. Well, look, guys, we're going to go to our next quick update as well today, and we're going to go over to Brett. Brett, you're going to give us a bit of a chat about price movements and the impact that COVID has had on property. Yes, yeah, Steph, happy to do so. Um, media reports when we were partway through COVID was talking about potential house price falls of 20 to 30%. So they, they sold the drama really well, but the truth is, is something different. Uh, the property market throughout the last six months has been relatively flat, uh, but I've actually got data now that's that's quite current that actually tells us the price movements over the last week, month, quarter, and even year. And the story is, well, it's a similar story that it is quite flat, but it's not all bad news. Um, over the last week, based on transactions that happened, Melbourne is the only capital city that actually recorded uh, price declines and that was only of 0.1%, so virtually nothing. Uh, if we look at the, the month to date, Melbourne is again the only one that recorded price declines of 0.2%, uh, and it's not until we go over a longer period that we start to see um, declines in, in more of the capital cities. Melbourne, of course, the worst hit because of our lockdowns and, and lack of trading activity in property is has been impacted the most. So. Since the original COVID lockdown, going back to March, Melbourne, the average or the median house price in Melbourne has dropped 5.7%. So that's not a great result. But if we put it in perspective, if we actually go back to the previous 12 months, the median house price in Melbourne is still up 2.4% from that day. So right. even wow. though we've declined over the last six months, if you, if you look at it in the scheme of the whole 12-month period, we're actually still in front. So price declines of, of 20 to 30%. Look, we may still have price declines coming. Uh, we're, there's still a bit of uncertainty as to when the economy is really going to hit its stride and when all of the, the, the sort of um, incentives the government's put in place with loan deferrals and JobKeeper are, are going to really play out in terms of people's ability to pay mortgages and transact on property. But we're certainly not seeing any major negative activity. In fact, it's really only Melbourne and Sydney that is showing um, declines of, of any significant amount since COVID hit with, as I said, Melbourne at 5.7% and Sydney's drop has been 2.3% for the same time. Mm. It's going to be one to watch. Sorry, I wonder about the statistical side of that because when Melbourne's got such low volumes and, and such unusual trading conditions, you can get a statistical anomaly just by looking at the median house price. So I wonder if there's a different type of property that is transacting 
during the COVID period of time from what would normally be transacting. And, and what I mean by that is if you've got a lot of lower value properties that are transacting, your median house price is going to come down just because that's the type of property that's being bought and sold in the current conditions. It doesn't mean that a bathroom house is worth any less. It's just that more three-bedroom, two-bathroom houses are being bought or sold uh, during this type of condition, and that can have an influence on that price. Spot on, Louis. And, and this is the issue I have with using median values as the, the major measurement because you're always going to have that scenario. You never get the same bundle of houses sold on a monthly basis. There's always going to be differences. Yet, I guess it's a flawed model, but it's the best one we've got to be able to, to forecast and see trends of, of property value direction. Mm, yeah, and it's probably fair enough for the uh, for the other places which don't have the, the lockdown in place, um, but Melbourne is it's just a little bit in the dark at the moment, I, I think. Mm. Yeah, very much so. All right. Well, guys, look, certainly one we're going we're gonna to have to sort of watch and see what happens in that space. Um, we're going to throw over now for our last topic, for the day before we move on to David, but just uh, we're going to speak to Louis about changes in superannuation. Woohoo! Before I get to my topic, I just want to say congratulations to everyone on day 100 today. Do you know what it is the 100th day of? Oh, it must be the re-entering back into restrictions, is it? That's correct. Yes. Congratulations of 100 days since we re-entered uh, stage three uh, restrictions. Yeah, and, I'm proud uh, of that. Home before we went into the even tougher stage. Well done, everyone. 100. It's a long um, time. <laughs> it is a long time. Anyway, on we go. Um, we've, uh, we, we had the federal budget since then, which we talked about at length in the last podcast episode. But I just wanted to touch on something in particular from that, uh, which was a, a pretty major shift in the superannuation system. And it seems like a couple of small steps uh, when you look at it on the surface, but they're actually going to have a big impact on how the superannuation system works long term or, or how it looks for a lot of individuals. So in the current system, every time a person starts a new job, the business's default position is to open a new superannuation account for your super contributions to go unless you fill in a form that says I actually want my super funds contributions to go into a particular super fund that I've already got. But if the employee doesn't fill in that form, well, then your employer is just going to proceed with opening a brand new superannuation account with, with whichever super fund they use. And then even when someone does fill in the form, there's uh, examples of uh, HR not processing it or someone not processing it in time for the first super contribution to be made. Uh, so there's all sorts of instances of a new superannuation account being opened when it's really not needed. So what's been proposed in the new budget is for the employer's default position, their first option is to extract information from the ATO's database. And the ATO will tell the employer, this person already has a super fund and that's the super fund that you need to pay. So an employer is only going to set up a new superannuation account for a person if there is no super fund in that ATO database or if the new employee makes an election and says, yes, please open a new super fund for me or I already have multiple super funds, so please pay a particular one. So 
over time, that's going to have a massive impact uh, in reducing the number of multiple superannuation accounts people have. What's going to become really important is where your first superannuation account is. So if you can imagine when most of us had our first job and had our first superannuation account opened, um, mine was when I was um, 18 or 19 years old and I've worked a, a retail job. So um, whoever, in fact, it was before that, it was fast food. So whoever Hungry Jacks decided would be my superannuation provider, imagine if their decision uh, was where my money was invested for the next 10 or 20 or 30 years. So that first decision by your first employer uh, is going to end up having a big impact on where a lot of people's superannuation sits because we know a lot of people are not engaged with their super uh, until sometimes their 50s, maybe their 40s, maybe their 30s. I was just going to ask, though, uh, Louis, with um, opening your own superannuation fund, mm -hmm. uh, what kind of value would you need to have in your fund before you sort of moved it across to self-managed and, and will people sort of swap over to self-managed in, in the future if that's the case? Uh, Self-managed super has been really popular for a long time. You do need to have a certain amount of money in that superannuation accounts. Um, if you're looking to open a superannuation fund purely on the basis of reducing fees, it's a tougher and tougher argument these days because superannuation providers um, are adapting to new technology and lowering their cost base. So traditionally, there's been this so-called magic number of 200 or 250,000, um, and the regulators even tried to change that conversation to be more like 500,000 these days. But in my opinion, it's completely the wrong conversation because the benefit of a self-managed super fund is that you can have different investment strategies. And the benefit of a self-managed super fund is uh, uh, sometimes being able to move more quickly on executing a buy or a sell transaction or being able to hold a kind of asset that you just can't hold with an Australian super or a rest or, um, uh, or, or even a, um, a complicated wrap account structure. Um, you can't access international shareholdings. If you want to invest in Microsoft or, or any other world-class business in the USA, you can't do it through a typical super fund. So I don't I don't have a minimum amount for a self-managed super fund where it makes sense because it depends on what kind of investment you're going to use and what returns you're going to get. Um, self-managed super fund is probably going to be more expensive for just about anyone who goes into it. So the question is, what extra returns can you make with a self-managed super fund? That's right, Louis. I've actually met with a client this week who has invested uh, about $125,000 in classic cars over the last uh, several years. And um, uh, one of the classic cars that he purchased uh, probably about five years ago has now tripled in value. Wow. And one that he purchased last year has now doubled in value. Wow. Uh, I've got some other clients that have invested in art. Uh, I've got clients obviously who invest in commercial and residential real estate. Uh, they can borrow to do that. So self-managed superannuation funds are a fantastic way to get access to investment opportunities that you ordinarily wouldn't be able to get access to, and that can drive 
greater value in the long term and also uh, dampen volatility in your portfolio, help you sleep better at night time, uh, particularly during periods where the stock market or there might be some uncertainty around real estate. I'll tell you what I love about this change in legislation, and it's probably an unintended consequence, but what it means is if a superannuation fund wants to win new members, if they're not the first superannuation fund that a person puts in place with their first employer, it means they have to uh, encourage people to make a decision to choose their super fund. And the only way to do that is to get people to engage. So now you're going to have, instead of super funds advertising to retain their current members, you're going to have super funds that are advertising just trying to get people to engage with their super. And if the whole industry is just trying to drive engagement, well, then higher engagement with with people's super fund is going to lead to people actually making decisions at an earlier age instead of what currently happens where most people wait too long before they engage with their super and they wait too long before they make uh, a good decision and get out of a, a poor performing fund. And that can only be a good thing. And Louis, just, just before we um, throw to a, a quick break, when do these superannuation changes come into effect? I don't think they have a start date because it's only been proposed and the legislation hasn't yet been um, uh, put into the, the House. Okay. Fantastic. Well, look, we'll just keep an eye on it and we'll touch on, touch again on that in the following podcast when we have the information. Oh, well, when the legislation comes in, I'll let you know. So maybe I'll tell you in 2023 or something. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, guys, we're going to go to a quick break and we'll be back after this message. Want to learn the strategies that have achieved returns more than double the return of the average superannuation fund? Each day, clients of United Global Capital are using strategies and tactics that were once thought the domain of the professional investor or the super rich. Book your seat at UGC's Financial Fast Track Seminars, where you'll learn the science behind selecting high-performance stocks and real estate, how you can participate in advanced strategies like property development, short selling, and international investments, as well as how to protect your wealth against major adverse market events. To secure your seat, simply go to ugc.net.au slash events and select the seminar that suits your needs. Seats are limited, so book your spot now. Okay, welcome back. Now we're going to go to our major topic today and that is our special guest who we've got with us. As I mentioned, it's David Guest from Outcome Business Group. David, you run a uh, business coaching service in Melbourne. Um, welcome yes. to the program and uh, we'd love to hear a little bit about, uh, about your business. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Steph. Um, yeah, so we've been uh, working with businesses for 20 years now and, um, you know, helping them grow their bottom line profits, helping them navigate the growth of a business, building their team, uh, getting a plan in place and, and just really sort of strategizing the business for growth. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, David is actually my business coach, uh, the mentor who has helped, uh, has helped us uh, go through an extraordinary phase of growth. And, uh, and we've actually got him in uh, talking to our team today to help set some goals and do some planning for the team. He's, he worked with us last week. We had him in for a, a workshop around our vision, our values. Um, and, uh, and I thought it would be more than appropriate to have David come on and, and speak to us in this crazy, crazy time that we're going through. All business owners are, are being pushed to the limits and uh, having to find new and innovative ways to, to run their businesses in a, in a lockdown or COVID or socially distanced environment. So, David, can you give us some insight 
into how you're finding, what, what are the key things that you're finding that businesses are doing well during this environment that you're working yep. with? And what are some of the things that they're struggling with? Yeah, great. Look, um, look the main thing is um, this whole notion of small businesses can be nimble, right? And they can adapt quickly. And I think uh, you touched about th about this with the superannuation funds as well. Someone with self-managed super can make decisions more effectively and more sort of granularly. But the small business owner right now, you know, it's turmoil, right? It's chaos, especially Victoria. You know, there's been shutdowns left, right and centre. And, and there's three kinds of people that I'm seeing in the market right now, Joel. I mean, there, there's some people that are really not going to make it. And the reason they're not going to make it is they were hanging on by their fingernails before this occurred and they're hoping... They're hoping that lockdown will be over soon and they're hoping that things will go back to normal and they don't have the cash to survive and they've had this false sort of security of JobKeeper, which has just stretched out the inevitable, but they're not doing anything different. They're just batting down the hatches and hoping this will go away. Um, that's bad news, right? There's two other people. There's people that can ride this through. They've got cash in the bank account. They can batten down the hatches. They've got enough cash to carry them through a period of time, but the danger for those guys is the third category. And those are the people that are taking advantage of the current situation. Because change in a marketplace creates opportunity. And we, we talk about a lot of things happening, but the main thing that's happened in the past six months is the adaption of technology has been faster and more profound than the last six years. Yeah. So people are using Zoom and Skype and Teams and technology more than ever before. And it's opened doors for businesses that are on that bandwagon. And, and uh, are you finding that uh, these these adoptions in technology are not just for professional services firms, but are you finding that other businesses like your traditional manufacturing business or re yeah. retail business, or yeah. you're finding that, uh, you know, uh, I know that there's a particular business that does steel fabrication that you, that you coach, you know, are these yeah. businesses also adopting technology or is it just the professional services firms like financial advisors, accountants, lawyers, et cetera? Well, it's across the board, Joel, because if you look at retail and, and you look at some of the restaurants as an example, the, the guys that have got a good online ordering presence and a delivery presence are making more money now than they were when they were open as a restaurant because they're shipping stuff. They, they've, they've organized themselves. Some of the top-tier restaurants in Melbourne right now, what they're doing is they're shipping out meal packs and then they're doing a live stream from the chef in the kitchen yep. to help you prepare the meal and they're turning into an experience. We've, we've actually bought bought into that as well, and um, and had a few of those boxes delivered and with the instructions. And it's a bit of fun to actually uh, yep. create it at home. So yeah, so it's a novelty, right? But what it's also doing is allowing those chefs to create relationship with you guys. Uh, some of these restaurants you may have never ventured into before, and now you have access to them in your home. Mm. So they're building relationship, and they're smart, right? Because this might change again, right? When, once the doors all open up, you might just decide, I'm not going to do this at home. I'm going to go to the restaurant. But you don't have a relationship with the chef. Yeah. You know, it's intimate. Because you think about it, normally you go to a restaurant, you don't get to see the chef. He's in the kitchen. And mm. now he's on the screen talking to you live. So, yeah. <laughs> so you've got the restaurants doing that. And then when you talk about manufacturing, you know, in the manufacturing space, some of those guys have been hit pretty hard, like construction slowed right down. Um, but we can sit down and we can be one of those three people we talked about. We can sit there and go just batten down the hatches until this is over. Um, everyone go home and when it starts up again, we'll come back. Or what can we do during this time? And a lot of companies that I've worked with, what they've done is they've cleaned up their internal communication structure. Right? They've had people working from home actually systemizing. Them. Um, one of the initiatives we put in with the steel manufacturer is this whole notion of Kaizen. 
right, which is incremental improvement. It's a Japanese philosophy. And we've said, get everyone who's normally working on the floor to sit down and map out their workflows and work out how can we improve workflows while we're sitting here on our hands. So the thing for me is when people think batten down the hatches, there's an assumption it means do nothing and yeah. watch Netflix. Right? Hey, have you actually found that you've had a lot more businesses approach you for business coaching services during COVID or, uh, you know, is there a drop off? What, what are you seeing? Uh, there's a, a mixed bag. The main thing is they're coming for different reasons. Um, uh, because, you know, the, the main thing that happens when people have fear, they go into sort of deers in the headlights, they lock down. And the accountant says, stop spending. Anything that's not essential, cut it. So for us, well, sometimes we're seen as a, as a non-essential service. So for some people, they just say, we're out. We're going to stop coaching until this is over. Um, we've had other people have said, we're in because we need strategy right now. Yeah. So it's changed the tone of the engagements. It's changed the kind of people we're working with. But the biggest thing for us is that, and this is a boon for anybody, is the amount of people the amount of people spending time online consuming content right now is probably you know multiple. It's a multiple of what it used to be because where people didn't have time before to research and to watch videos and so forth, now they're sitting in front of their screens all day. So David. Um for the benefit of, uh, of, of people who have never worked with a business coach before, I want to just share a little bit of a story because uh, the main reason why we're actually here today and, and, and enjoying the success that UGC is enjoying today mm. is that David actually was instrumental in helping myself and Steph um, take a, a big look at where our business was going. And, uh, and, and he was instrumental in helping us turn that around with some key training some education mentorship um and and i just want to share a little bit of a story about our business and then perhaps david if you could sort of uh explain what the journey is that i went through with you and perhaps what a what a typical business person who's coming into your services would look like but uh i started this business as a one-man band about five years uh, uh five years before i met david so we've been running the business now approaching nine years and uh and you know, and we did well. We 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 started the business. We built out a few networks, but primarily a lot of the growth in my business was coming from one particular partnership. And when that partnership and that person who I was working very closely with uh, became ill and had to s cease working. In fact, uh, today, unfortunately, he he's in, in a nursing home. Our business suffered quite dramatically um, only about three and a half years ago. And uh, so the decision was made. In fact, it was Steph's idea to to try and find a coach. Um, I said, that's fine. I'll go, but I have to pick it. And uh, and I found David on the internet. And I think, David, you had one of the more interesting conversations with uh, clients uh, on that first appointment. <laughs> Did you not? <laughs> yeah, you have to remind me, but... All I remember is both of you coming in, and it was it was sort of a pretty spicy conversation. Uh, <laughs> I think you, know, you had to sort of, pretty much separate us at one point. He's also a yeah. marriage counselor. <laughs> <laughs> Steph sort of came in and said, "You know, this is a, a pretty important meeting today because yeah. it impacts more than just the business." And yeah. uh, it was sort of like, "Okay, this is one of these ones." And, uh, <laughs> Uh, it was interesting because, you know, sometimes co coaching is a tough gig, right? We can't help every business. And mm -hmm. it takes two people to, to sort of engage in, into a relationship. And uh, sometimes you have to sort of um, understand the dynamics that are going on in, in the family environment with you guys. Um, and for me, I'm, I'm excited when people have big vision right? because with big vision, it's easier to work with someone. And if we can nurture that vision, we can sort of bring it to reality. 
And I, I know that like we were, look, we were looking back at this the other day when we were running the planning for you guys. And it was like, when we started, you had what, about four or five employees? Yep, it was about, yeah, about four or five employees. I think, I think we're actually at five and dropping down to four. <laughs> in a, in a two-bedroom apartment. <laughs> it was sort of like, uh, we're in real trouble because if this doesn't work out, we're, we're, we're even considering whether we continue. Yeah. And it was like, before you sort of make that decision, let's have a look at everything. Let's work out what's, what's good and what needs to be chucked. And I know, like, Joel's very entrepreneurial, so he's got lots of ideas going on all the time. Mm. And we put the focus on just a couple. Right, and uh, we've had a few fights along the way. To be honest, brings uh, <laughs> me out, and he goes, "I'm done. I'm selling this business. I'm out of here." And then <laughs> later, he goes, "Great, I'm back on board." <laughs> it normally takes about 24 hours for him to calm down and, and realize he's just gone off on a tangent. So, <laughs> so David, just maybe, of- maybe if you can, uh, just maybe elaborate on, on what, what the typical journey is that you would have with with somebody like myself, who's maybe got a business is is struggling a bit today because of the current environment that they're in. Yeah. Uh, take them on the journey that you lead that you lead them on, and and how you can uh, help pull them through these periods of time. Because sure. uh, for those those people who aren't aware, we were at four five staff, went down to four by the time I met with uh, David, and uh, and now today we're looking at having fifty staff uh, within the space of about three and a half years of working with David. So. So the guy, the guy's a genius, and uh, and perhaps maybe if you can um, uh, give us some sort of indication as to what that journey looks like, that'd be terrific. Uh-huh. Don't know about genius. I think really, um, you know, I've been I've been doing this for twenty years, and I was born into business. My parents were in business when I was younger, and uh, I sort of learned at an early age. You know, people can be in business, and they can be identical businesses, and one person will be making millions of dollars, and the other one's working their brains out for free. And it sort of set me on this journey of, you know, what is the difference? And so the journey, the journey we went through and pretty much with almost every client, the very first thing is that most people go into business because they're good at something, right? And it's a skill set decision. And it's probably not the best decision, but that's how we do it, right? Because what I mean by that is if you're a plumber, you'll start a plumbing business and you know what? You become the number one employee because you're a plumber. And it's not really a business, it's self-employment, okay? And so the first distinction we have to make is detaching the person from the business. And so in the initial stages, there's lots of questioning where, you know, I sat down with Joel and Steph and I said, what have you got? And, you know, we do an assessment of what works, what doesn't work, and then we try and move away the constraints, right? Now, the constraints inevitably is if you're good at what you do and you say no one does it as well as I do, well, then how the hell are you going to employ anybody, right? (laughs) Because your assumption is there's no one out there that can do it the way I do it. So if I can't get it done myself, then I'm not going to get it done. And that becomes a constraint. Mm. And morphing someone from being self, like self-employed mindset, I, I would call that, um, to the mindset of being a business owner, which is a builder, okay, is a very different journey. Because as a builder, your whole idea is, well, how do I assemble a business as opposed to how do I do the work of the business? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So... I, I just want to set everyone's expectation because um, I think that when, when certainly in my experience, the, the the assistance that had come from the coaching that you'd provided to me was a different way of looking at things. Yes. So it wasn't a, a panacea like do this and all of a sudden, you know, everything's going to change, your world's going to change. In fact, what happened was the conversations that David had gave me a different way of looking at things. And then that led to other conversations that Brett and I had at the time. Brett was very much instrumental in, in the, the turnaround of this business as well. 
and, and Brett and I sat down and we had some good conversations around where we needed to change and some of the things that we needed to do. And, you know, it certainly it, it helps, you know, that uh, you have a business partner who brings in a huge client and, uh, you know, a big referral network and, <laughs> and that yeah. doesn't hurt at all. But I'm certain that the conversations that David and I had helped create a different way of looking at things for both Brett and myself. And yeah. these opportunities start to open up when you have a different change of mindset. Think- David, can I ask a question along those lines? Um, in in business coaching, you're you're shifting mindset, but you're also giving more education on skills and knowledge, and yeah. you're also helping to direct the actions and what's actually been done. Mm-hmm. Um, what sort of proportion do you give, or, or weight, or what do you think about that? how much to work on mindset versus how much to work on knowledge versus how much to influence the actions on the ground? Well, that's a tricky question. It depends on the person. This is, if you call it magic, this is the magic is actually trying to work out the individual because when I work with Joel, it's very different to working with Louis. Okay. And the proportions will be different depending on where they're at. So you're right. There's three things here, right? There's the education. And education is not that hard these days. It's fully accessible on your computer. You can find anything by Googling it. Then there's the application, and that's really just turning knowledge into activity. But then there's the mental shift, and and you sort of mentioned mindset a couple of times, and mindset's one of those high-level weird things. You know, that it's very esoteric, and uh, you can talk about it from a life coaching perspective. You can talk about it from a leadership perspective, a management perspective. But inevitably what it is for me is that we all, we, we're all at the sum of all of our experiences through our lives. Right? And uh, I think people don't realize how much that influences how you think and because it's like a fish can't see water. right? So we can't see our environment. We can't see the history behind who we are today. We just act in accordance with it. And so when you have a coach who's external and I start looking at that from outside, I can see it clear as day. But if I tell you what I see, you don't believe me, right? Mm. So we have to go through a journey of asking questions, of planting seeds, of evaluation to see which button we can push to actually get you to move, yeah? yeah. And um, sometimes it works super effectively. And uh, it's, you know, some of our conversations, me and Joel, have, have been pretty much almost outright arguments. <laughs> uh, and I know the occasional step has to come to the come to the rescue. <laughs> so, we've had the same with you, Louis. I mean, I mean, there's been times where you sort of, you know, I'm sort of trying to get uh, you to move, right? And sometimes it's frustrating. It's clear as day. You'll have this with people with investing. You'll say, guys, you need to do this, and they go, oh yeah, let me think about it. And you go, you haven't got time to think about it. The moment is now. And yeah. this is the same with coaching. There's times when you sort of apply the pressure and get the breakthrough. You know, and uh, it's it's a tricky one. I, I don't know if I can give you the answer because it's it's very situational. Yeah. But, um, well, it sounds I like say, the, sorry, I was going to say it sounds like the biggest element is um, business growth. A lot of the time is dependent on personal growth. Yeah, I mean, for for most people, I'd suggest it's a fifty fifty split. There's what we call the external system, which is your business process and recruitment and marketing and and what we talk about in business terms, and everyone gets it. But then there's the internal system, and that incorporates things like your education, your ability to apply things, and also your sort of thinking constraints. Mm. Because we're sort of born the same way. When you think about it, we've all got a brain, and we've all got arms and legs and eyes. And and so we've got this capacity and potential, but then it gets dulled down. you know. And and society has a tendency to crush people's Mm. dreams. And it sounds terrible, 
But, you know, you, everyone's heard these sort of sayings, don't get your hopes up. You yeah. know, don't be greedy. You know, oh, don't go, don't aim too high, you might fail. And it's almost the opposite of what we should be doing with children is we should be encouraging them to do whatever they want to do. You know, go out there, experiment, learn, make mistakes because you learn by falling over. And But our society doesn't treat us that way. You go to school, if you fail, it's not good. They don't go, that's great, you failed, what did you learn? You know, mm-hmm. they go, you failed, you get to stay down, we'll call your parents in. <laughs> yeah. And um, so even though we don't think we're like that, because I ask people, one of the questions when we start coaching is, is failure good or bad? Yeah. And you know the textbook answer is failure is good, right, as long as you learn from it. But then we ask the next question, which is, who loves failing? <laughs> no one loves failing, right? No. They know it's good. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's like you have to fail because mm-hmm. failing means you get the distinction and from that you move forward. Yeah. If you're scared of failure because you don't want to be judged on it, you've just created a huge constraint. I was just going to ask you, though, uh, a lot of people would come to you when they've, they're at a crisis point um, with their, their career or their business. But mm-hmm. do you think that business coaching should start earlier than that? And do we need to shift our mindset and actually, when you start a business, is, is it getting people on the journey and getting a business coach early in the piece would help? 100%. Seth. I want you to imagine, imagine if one of the rules of starting a business is you can't actually do the work of the business. You have to employ people. You have to systemize. All you can do is either manage or lead. Right? We have a very different world because self-employment for me is a rort. Right? Because for most people who are self-employed, they take on a massive amount of risk. They do tax collection for free, and they're not even guaranteed an income. Right? So they take it on board thinking, you know, I'm my own business. I'm self-employed. Aren't I great? And then when you do the maths, it's terrible. The equation is terrible because they will get paid less than is legal as an employee because they're a business owner and the government says that's okay but if you employ someone don't you ever pay them how much you're paying yourself like that doesn't make any sense and and the reason is the way i equate it is if you go to a builder and you say build me a house builder goes no problem we need to design the house and draw a plan you go no no don't worry about the plan just start and the builder goes hang on on. how many floors do you want i don't know maybe two maybe five and they look at you like you're nuts. Right? <laughs> but that's exactly how most people start a business. I don't know. I'll get started. I'll get a few clients. I'll see how I go. And so they have no concept of what they're building. Yeah. And it's, it's almost a travesty. So to answer your question, I think people need to be speaking to a coach before they start their business. Mm-hmm. Because um, you might be good at your trade, but if you're going to go start a business, you, you, unless you want to just work self-employed, and that's okay, because some people are good with it, you need to learn how to build. Now, David, uh, the workplace of the future, obviously, we're, we're going through COVID. A lot of discussion is, is, you know, being had right now in the media. Business owners are considering yeah. it. We're considering it ourselves. We need new office space. We don't even have enough seats to, to house everybody who we've just hired yes. recently. But yeah. what, is, what, what do you think the, the future of the, the workspace, the office, is, is going to look like? And, and, and yeah. what do you think employers need to be thinking about right now business owners need to be thinking about to attract and retain talent for the workplace of the future? That's a great question, Joel, because uh, I know we've had many discussions through the years about should I get a bigger office, should I upsize, should I have two offices? And it's always been a burden of overhead because you get an office, you get a lease, you're stuck in it for a few years and, and you sort of it, inevitably you're, you're leasing a bigger office than the size of the team. So there's a loss component for a period of time. Um, over the past six months, one thing that I've taken on is I've been interviewing lots and lots of people in business. Like We've done probably about 200 interviews in the past six months. And one of my questions has always been about, you know, what are the opportunities you see right now? 
So in business and in life, there's two kinds of changes, right? There's cyclic change and there's structural change. So cyclic change, like the weather, gets hot, it gets cold, and you get cold, and you can pretty much predict when it's going to happen more or less every year. And then the structural change is things like, you know, they talk about global warming, and they say there's changes that are occurring that you can't notice because it's only one degree every year. Um, during COVID, we've had a cyclic change. We've been locked down, and we know we're going to get let out. You know? But during that lockdown, there's been some structural changes that I think will never go away. And one of them is this whole use of video conferencing, you know, the Zoom, the Zoom phenomenon, right? We go back six months or a year ago, and less than 50% of people in business knew what Zoom was and would be comfortable using it. You know, and even some companies, I heard this yesterday, and it reminded me, is they have a policy that they do not use video conferencing because of security issues, right? So they would say, we can't use secure, we can't use Zoom because our system doesn't allow us to do video conferencing for security issues. That's gone, right? Everyone's yeah. using it right now. And, you know, someone said it to me the other day, Zoom is not a communication tool. It's a travel replacement. And yeah. what that means is that when we go back to everyone, back to what they call normal or COVID normal, travel will come back, there's no question, but it won't be the same. Because people won't travel to Sydney for a one-hour meeting anymore when they can do a Zoom meeting for one hour and just save themselves, you know, not only a couple of thousand bucks, but pretty much a whole day of travel. So the structural change I see is the technology advancement that has occurred will cause people to rethink how they deliver their product and their service. I don't care if it's consulting services or whether it's even, you know, in the, in the building industry. You know, my plumber, when I ring him now, he goes, put me on FaceTime and show me the problem. Mm. rather than I can't get there till tomorrow. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm getting immediate response from my plumber where normally we'd have to wait two to three days and try and arrange a time that I'd be home available for them to come in and check stuff. Yeah. Um, that level of convenience will never go away, right? People are buying online shopping. It's hilarious now. You look at the amount of cars on the road carrying parcels. You know, they mm. haven't got enough couriers and Australian Post people. There's people in Uber vehicles delivering ve uh, products to people's houses. When you think about that, the convenience of buying stuff, ordering it online today and getting it tomorrow without having to get out of your house. Yeah. How can it discard that when, when COVID goes away? Do you think yeah. that productivity will increase? I think you touched on this before the podcast when we we're having a, a just a general chat, but you, you think that productivity will in, increase you know, with how we're interacting and getting meetings done quickly? Yeah, it's a great question, Steph, but uh, there's a new phenomenon that's called Zoom fatigue. <laughs> and everyone knows what I'm talking about. That's when your eyes start going square because you're stared at a screen all day. And uh, oh. people are saying, I can't wait to get back to face-to-face -face because this Zoom thing is killing me. But what they're not really taking into account is the efficiency, right? Because in a typical day, if someone is meeting people face-to-face, -face, you know, a, a good day would be six meetings, right? Six to, maybe six to eight meetings. And that's pretty tough. And that's sort of squeezing lunch in the middle. I can do a Zoom meeting and I can do the same amount of work with someone in 45 minutes that would normally take one hour. I need to be disciplined though so that I don't get stuck in front of the screen all day. So I need to make the time to get up and go for a walk outside. So I think the answer is it will integrate. I don't think it'll be a replacement. It's not an either or, it's an and. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, we used to use the phone a lot, right, for selling, for, for doing sales. And someone <laughs> heard an comment. They said, you know, when you're using the phone, it's ear to ear. When you're using Zoom, it's face-to-face. But -face. Mm. So if you have an opportunity to do a Zoom meeting over a phone meeting, you'll be more intimate with the person you're talking to. But I've also heard the reverse where people say, well, if it's just a conversation, turn the camera off because that'll stop you staring at the screen and it can be just a phone conversation. So when people normalise how these things fit, 
the efficiencies will improve significantly. Yeah. yeah. I've had a couple of um, meetings where some people don't like you having the camera off. Um, yeah. You know, and, and to be honest, I think that it can be a distraction when you've got the camera off. You, you tend to fiddle with your mobile phone or yeah. not be really engaged in it. So I, I do think the, the face-to-face is, is ideal, but I do understand the fatigue of the, the whole situation as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, well tip, uh, the tip of your there, Steph, is make, make your meetings shorter. Yeah, um, that's true. We do now, when we do sales calls, we used to do like uh, traditionally face-to-face would be 90 minutes. Um, then we started doing one hour, and with Zoom, we do 30-minute sales calls, and we get the, yeah. through the same amount of content in 30 minutes because it's just organized. Yeah. David, do you have a sweet spot for business types or business sizes, or is that not really applicable? Um, <laughs> it's a tough question because, you know, the standard marketing uh, statement is you should niche your product, yep, and you should work on a specific target market. But for us, every time I try to do this, I find that my niche is the business owner themselves and usually they're in, I'll call it self-employment, but it's more than that because they'll have employees, but they're the center of attention. So the business relies on them too much. And they start to realize this is now hamstringing my growth and it's impossible. I cannot move forward from this situation now. I can leverage myself. I can have a, you know, three PAs and I can have a this and a that and a paralegal. But in the end, I'm still the center of the universe. So when someone's in that frustration of that self-employment max, and now they're saying I need to move into a business structure, that's our sweet spot. Um, doesn't mean we can't work with anyone else, it's just that that's where we see profound results. So when, what Joel talks about, you know, they're profound results, and they can only happen because he's already got a team around him, and he's a forward-thinking guy saying, I want to dominate the world, but I can't do it on my own, I need some help, how do we do this? And it sounds easy when we say it that way, but the reality is there's so many different options and there's so many different ways of doing it, and you still have to have a market that can buy. So for us, it's, uh, I don't know, if, you, if I want to put some rings around it, it would be somewhere in that sort of $1 million to uh, maybe $50 million privately owned business. Um, we get the best results working with the owner because they're, the they're the guy or the girl, I should say, that, that really drives the business moving forward. And there's a gap in their knowledge, right? And it comes down to how do I build this team? And David, you're currently working with us at the moment uh, with my whole team. We're, we've yeah. implemented a program. What around uh, staff and business coaching as well? Uh, is that yeah. is that an aspect that you've done a lot of in the past? Is it a part that you're yeah. looking to grow? Because I, the feedback that I got from my staff last week on what we did last week was was yeah. phenomenal. Um, they, yeah. they loved it. They were energised. They're right. so excited about the future of, of what lays ahead for them and the business and their ability to contribute. Um, mm. Is that something that you're looking to do a lot more of as well? Sort of yes, yes and no, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll explain it. The, the thing for me is when you grow your business, right, and when anyone grows their business, they need to bring the staff on the journey, right? Now, at the start, you employ people to do their job. But what you're doing is you're paying for their hands and not their head, right? So you say, I need you to sit at your workstation and things come in here from your inbox and put them to the outbox. And that's just process work. When we want to grow the business and have what's called synergy, right, synchronized energy, um, I need them to come to the table. So we talk about things like Kaizen, you know, improvement within the business. The best place to get the improvements is from the workers. But if you don't ask them, they don't tell you. And so this engagement, like what we've started doing with you, we're doing with a lot of clients now, which, which is quarterly uh, planning base, um, which is personal development for the team. Because the old saying, you, you know, the chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Yeah. So if your team are not on this journey with you to growth, then they're probably hindering the journey to growth. So how do you do that? And that's full-on engagement. And that's making sure that people come to work and they know it's not just, you know, packing boxes. It's not just processing forms. 
I'm part of the bigger picture. Mm. Yeah. Uh, business, uh, David, what about people who are not the business owners? Um, yep. well, obviously, you've engaged with, uh, with the business owner here and therefore yep. all the staff within the business, but a lot yep. of our listeners uh, don't work for a company that uses your services. Okay. So I'll give you the short answer, right? Um, there was a, real, a brilliant book by a, na- a guy by the name of John McGrath he was a very successful real estate agent in Australia, and he wrote a book, must have been nearly 15 years ago, called You, Y-O-U, Inc. And the philosophy of the book is everybody is their own business. Every employee is a business. Right? And the irony is they get paid exactly what they're worth. And so if you want to grow yourself in a job, you develop yourself. And I learned this from an early age. You know, I read a book on sales. I get better at sales. I become more valuable. So, so for me, every individual within the organisation, I treat them as, as, a, as an enterprise within themselves, right? When we talk about leadership within businesses, I assume every person that works for you is a leader of something, right? If anything, their own leader, personal leadership, or a leader of their family, or their community, or their department, or their job. So to, to me, this whole notion of coaching business owners, the reason I focus on the owner themselves is that's an impact point, right? And it allows me to then get some movement, but then we bring the team on the journey. So we coach each individual, okay? Um, we don't do personal coaching. So if someone rings me and says, I need career advice, I'm happy to give them the advice and I'm happy to put them in touch with someone who can work with that on them because that's not as uh, big an impact for us. So we can provide that service. Um, but my, my big thing, because I do this with my kids, right? Um, they're, they're all sort of going through their own careers and, you know, the, the ideal dream for a parent is your kids come and work in your own business and... <laughs> I had two of them in and they ran within one hour, right? They said, this is not for me. <laughs> and I said, that's fine. Okay, plan B, I want you to be the best in the field that you choose, right? Whatever field you choose to go into, it has to be a field that you're willing to do what it takes to be awesome. And um, it's worked to a large degree because, uh, you know, one of them is a, a lawyer, one of them is a songwriter, and one of them is a uh, sales guy who sells technology. And constantly, I don't care what industry they go into. I've given up on that. What I care about is that they're passionate about what they do. Do they take your advice, David? Do they come uh, to business coaching? (laughs) uh, uh, um, I think they do, but they don't know it. (laughs) (laughs) That's good parenting. Yeah, Yeah. because if I ever try to tell them what to do, I get smashed. No, Um, I remember those days with my my own father, to be honest. Yeah. When I was out, when I was energetic and young, I'll tell you an interesting story. I used to be very, I'm an avid book reader, as you know. I read lots of books. I love them, you know. Yeah. And trying to get the kids to read books, I tried everything under the sun, you know. This is a great book. It's going to teach you how to be better at school and you'll be a better person and blah, blah, blah. And I finally came up with a strategy that worked. And uh, one of the kids, the oldest one, I said, if you read this book, and it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, I said, I'll give you $100 in cash. <laughs> this is a this is a shifty deal. Hundred dollars in cash, and he looked at me and he goes, "Really?" I said, "Yeah, on the condition that I can sit down with you and you can answer questions about what's in the book." I like it. So he did it right, and we sat down, we had the conversation, and he answered the questions. And I gave him a hundred bucks, and he goes, "What's next?" I said, "Pick another book off the shelf, right?" And he, he did. Uh, uh, I think it was Think and Grow Rich, you know, Napoleon. And it was funny because halfway through the book. He rings me up because this one was a bit harder. And, and he said, Dad, I know what you're doing. Said, <laughs> <laughs> this book's worth a lot more than 100 bucks, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because since that day, he now reads more than me. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Wow. 
like I was saying at the start, you've got to find the ways to get people to move. Yeah. And it's a bit like, um, you know, it's detective work because everyone's different and everyone has their own motives and their own drives and their own constraints. And as a coach, my job is to do the detective work and say, look, I know you can move forward, but how do I get you to want to? Yeah. Right? Steph, Steph even uh, comments. She goes, what, what, did you, what, did, what did you and David talk about today? And I said, oh, we talked about X, Y, and Z. And she goes, but I told you all of that. And I said, yeah, but I don't want to hear it from you. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And that's another thing, isn't it? You can't, you can't uh, you know, take the advice from, um, from somebody you're married to or, you know, children. It's, it's just, it's, it's funny. You, you know, you do need to hear it from somebody outside of your own family, I think, sometimes to make it stick. So... I've had that conversation with Steph too. <laughs> David, you need to tell Joel to do these things. Well, he does it, David, when I tell you. <laughs> but see, this is the whatever it takes to get movement. Right? Yeah. And, and I think it's a funny thing, right? Because people, like, they look at the things we teach them and they go, this is all pretty obvious. There's nothing new here. And I go, look, it's not about how new it is. It's about the size of the bank account as a result of doing it. Because yeah. the numbers don't lie. You, you guys are in finances. You get this, right? And I say to people, stop trying to decide and judge things on their merits, test them, right? Test things out and then we know that things are moving forward. Yeah. I just had another question as well. Um, people that uh, don't want to go straight into business coaching, do you run yeah. online seminars and can people sort of just engage with you that way just to start with and see what the services are like? Of course. I mean, um, funny thing, we've done online webinars and things for years, but this last year we've actually stepped it up. So if anyone jumps on the website, we've got plenty of stuff going all the time. Um, we've got events. We've probably got about half a dozen events we run every month. Um, if anyone is interested in attending some of those events, they can jump online and they can sort of decide which ones are for them. Um, we do a lot of video. So there's lots of tutorials. There's free downloads for people to get started. Um, probably one of my favorite documents is the personal goal generator that we've had. And uh, a lot of people struggle with the goal setting thing. You know, they've tried it and they've failed. They either think too small or they don't do it consistently. Goal setting is not a thing you do once. It's a, it's a habit. Right, and the the more you do it, the better you get at it. So all those tools are available on the website, Steph. Yeah, and what's what is your website for those listeners out there, and what's the oh. email address they can get in touch with you? Yeah, so look, the the website's outcomes o u t c o m e s dot business outcomes dot business, um, which is easy to find, and my email address is just david at outcomes dot business. If anyone wants to reach out and anyone has any questions, I mean, for us, look, we love helping people because the results get us excited this is the funny part about our business you know our vision is reinvigorating the business dream and i know people go into business for all the right reasons right and sometimes it's a bit like a great day a four-year-old taking a great day in for a walk anyone who's run a business will know what i'm talking about the mm. question is who's walking who right we get hijacked <laughs> um but in life the same thing happens we get derailed we get put into a career basically when we're like 15 years old you have to choose what's your career going to be for the rest of your life i don't know well, you have to pick one because the decision has to be made and you get railroaded. And a lot of people lose their fire, they lose their spark. And I think when uh, you sort of look at life and say, I've got one shot at this and I can do whatever I choose to, it's quite empowering. So getting someone to help you reassess what, what sort of floats your boat or what sort of you know, gets you juiced up, that's important right? because yeah. that's where you get the most change in the world. Yeah. Well, David, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the program today. Uh, I know you have changed our life for the better um, and everyone on this, this phone call with, um, with your services. So we, we really appreciate everything you did um, and are continuing to do for the business. And, um, you know, for our listeners out there, please uh, give David a call because it, it will, uh, will change your life and have a major impact on your own business.
Guys, we're going to take a very, very quick break and we'll be back with our last segment of the day. Are you concerned about your finances? Maybe you're not sure if you'll have enough money to retire on. Or maybe you've received a redundancy, inheritance or even a significant promotion or perhaps a life-changing medical diagnosis. Regardless of your concern or financial position, United Global Capitals Advisors are experts in the areas of strategic financial planning, taxation, superannuation and self-managed superannuation funds, risk management, estate planning and investments. Don't let fate dictate your financial future. Take control today and contact United Global Capital for a no-cost, no-obligation financial strategy consultation. Simply call 03 8657 7640 or email info at ugc.net.au and book your appointment today. Okay, welcome back, guys. It's the final segment for today, and it is your favourite. It's You Can't Be Serious, all of these uh, nasty things that people come up with. Look, Joel, we'll throw to you today. What have you got for us? Well, we've heard about uh, the polls being a little bit uh, tricky to determine who's going to win the, the next election. Uh, we've had uh, Brexit, which went the way of uh, exit instead of, uh, instead of stay. We've seen Trump get elected. We've seen Morrison get elected, all in, uh, in, in major elections that we all thought would go one way, uh, but went the other. Well, maybe it's time to get rid of the pollsters. Maybe it's time to get rid of the bookmakers. How about turning your attention to some Peruvian shamas? Uh, maybe they have a better chance of predicting the next election. <laughs> okay. Apparently, these Peruvian shamas favour Biden. So let's see how that turns out, and let's see whether or not we have a little bit more accuracy in this election. <laughs> and we can do a little bit better than the pollsters. Sounds exactly like the election, doesn't it? It's a bit all random. So. <laughs> now, I think I might just toss a coin. <laughs> that's it. that's it's probably a better way to do it, I would say. Didn't they, didn't they used to have an octopus that used to pick which uh <laughs> that's which right. team was gonna win? Yeah. Um Louis, what have you got for us today? Uh I've got a very clever entrepreneur, uh, a thief, um, who makes his money that way. A uh, really clever guy. He broke into his uh, his latest home, took his uh, stolen goods. Unfortunately, he left behind a backpack, uh, and that backpack contained his own mail, <laughs> and they found the guy's name and his home address. Wow. <laughs> genius, genius, rocket science right there. Um, Brett, have you got one for us this morning? Of course, yeah. Um, and David, you mentioned the octopus that uh, that helps predict sporting outcomes, uh, and we're into preliminary final for our sporting codes here, given that uh, the coronavirus has delayed those seasons. Well, in Germany, a soccer team in, in their 11th tier, so fairly well down, um, faced a fine if they did not show up, which they threatened to do after having an opposition player test positive for COVID the week before. So rather than have the fine in place, they decided to show up, but literally not participate and allow the opposition to, th to score 37 goals to nil. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, that is taking Goodness. Only 37 goals. What were they That's doing? Only 37. That, that's the thing. I looked at it and I thought, well, hang on, there's 90 minutes. That's yeah. roughly every two and a half. Sure, you could score a hundred. Yeah, I would have thought so. Sounds like goodness. Guys, we're going to have to wrap it up there for today. But uh, thank you very much for all your input and for our listeners for tuning in. And we'll be back again next week. All right. Have thank a you. Have a nice weekend, guys. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.